we do an Old Testament, a New Testament reading, but both readings today will be out of the Old Testament, and the first is Isaiah. If you have read what we're going to do in 2 Chronicles, you probably know the connection between Isaiah 6 and 2 Chronicles 26. But Isaiah 6, it's on page uh, 571 if you're using that blue Bible. Notice that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And notice how the word Lord is printed, capital L, little o, little r, little d. In the Hebrew, that's Adonai. It means something like master or sovereign, the king, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, the sovereign, sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And in John 12, verse 41, John tells us, that what Isaiah saw was Jesus. That this is the Lord before His incarnation, high and lifted up, and His train filling the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, the, the Sovereign, sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh. Notice, Lord is all caps. L, capital O, capital R, capital D. God's personal name. This is not Baal. This is not Asherah. This is not Marduk. This is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord, the Sovereign, saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and their, and blind, uh, their ears heavy and blind their eyes that they see, uh, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and Yahweh removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though the tenth, a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is failed. The holy seed is its stump. And now we turn to Second Chronicles chapter 25 and 26 as we continue our series through First and Second Chronicles. Reclaim, revive, reform, return. And what you have here is in chapter 25 and 26 is a father and a son, and you will notice that their stories almost follow the same pattern. Begins well, but things don't end well. So there's the pattern you'll see in both of their stories. And the first, of course, is Amaziah. Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was 
Jehoadan of Jerusalem, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord of Yahweh, yet not with a whole heart. And as soon as the royal power was firmly his, he killed his servants. He had killed his servants who had struck down the king, his father, but he did not put their children to death according to what is written in the law in the book of Moses where Yahweh the Lord commanded fathers shall not die because of their children or children die because of their fathers, but each one shall die for his own sin. Then Amaziah assembled the men of Judah and he set them by his father's houses under commanders of thousands and of hundreds for all of Judah and Benjamin. And he follows the biblical pattern. Those whom you recruit and bring into the military are got to be 20 years old and older. And he does it and he has 300,000 strong fighting force, but he still feels a little weak. So he hires the local mercenaries from up north, from that politically, socially, theologically, morally liberal and progressive realm of God's kingdom. Now I'm not saying that to be derisive, I'm being descriptive. They were all those things, and he hires mercenaries from them. And the Lord won't have it, and so he sends a prophet, verse 7, but a man of God came to him and said, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for Yahweh is not with Israel, not with that northern, progressive, politically, socially, morally, theologically progressive and liberal realm of his kingdom. God is not with Israel, with all these Ephraimites. But go, act, be strong for the battle. Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. So Amaziah does what he says. But first he says, what am I going to do with all the money? I mean, I spent a lot of money on those guys. And the prophet says in verse, in verse 9, Yahweh the Lord is able to give you much more than this. And so he lets them go. They cause all kinds of trouble as those mercenaries head back up north. But then verse 11, Amaziah took courage and led his people and went to the valley of salt and struck down 10,000 men of Seir. And the men of Judah captured another 10,000 alive and took them to the top of a rock and threw them down from the top of the rock and they were all dashed to pieces. It all begins well in verse 14. After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir, of Edom, the people he just defeated. He brought the gods of the men of Seir and set them up as his gods and worshipped them, and made making offerings to them. Therefore the Lord Yahweh was angry with Amaziah, and sent him a prophet who said to him, Why? Why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver them, their, their own people, from your hand? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, to the prophet, Have we made you a royal counselor? Stop! Why should you be struck down? And so the prophet stopped, but said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to the counsel. And so then Amaziah, using what the mercenaries had done to, the nor uh, to parts of Judah as a provocation, he goes and challenges Jeho Jeho Jehoram to a fight. That's the king of that northern realm. And then, funny enough, the king of the northern realm tells him a silly little story about thistles proposing to the proposing for the hand of the daughter of the giant uh, cedar tree of Lebanon. It's kind of a funny story, you know, little thistles. And, anyways, and then the king of the north says, verse 19, you say, see, I have struck down Edom and your heart 
has lifted you up in boastfulness. Stay home. Verse 20, But Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God, in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. And so Judah was defeated by Israel. And the story ends with an assassination of Amaziah, the last two verses. And then comes his son Uzziah, or Uzziah. However you want to pronounce it, it's okay. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored to Judah. He restored it to Judah, for the king slept with his father. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, the longest reigning king in the south. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, Yahweh, God made him prosper. So Uzziah is able to set up the defenses for the southern realm for Judah, and it says repeatedly that God helped him. Verse 7, God helped him. And so he became, the end of verse 8, very strong. And so the summary statement is at the end there of verse, verse uh, 14, or verse 15. For he was marvelously helped. God helped him. He was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to Yahweh, to the Lord his God, and entered the temple of Yahweh to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of, of Yahweh who were men of valor and they withstood him. They said, you are wrong to do what you have just done. And Uzziah responds with great humility and meekness. Not. Verse 19. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense and when he became angry with the priests, Leprosy broke out on his forehead and in the presence of the priests in the house of Yahweh by the altar of the incense. And so Uzziah now is excluded because the Lord has struck him, verse 20. Uzziah is now excluded from the house of the Lord. He's excluded from all the sacraments. He's excluded from the fellowship meal. He's excluded from the public worship and the hymn singing and the psalms. He's excluded and cast to the back of the kingdom and his son has to co-reign in his place the remainder of his life. My friends, what I've read to you from Isaiah 6, and what I've read and summarized to you from 2 Chronicles 25 and 26, it is the warning, alerting, correcting, hope-giving word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Ah, dear God, whose steadfast love endures forever. Turn us more deeply and richly towards setting our hearts to seek you this day, because in Christ Jesus, you make your trustworthiness and love for us most clear. Amen. You may be seated. So the sermon notes are on the back of the worship guide. If you don't know that, uh, there's lots of space to write notes. There's questions for the care groups that meet tonight. You know, throughout most of the Christian world, the 1st of November, that was Wednesday, the 1st of November is called All Saints Day. 
And then as we have traditionally done, the Sunday after All Saints Day in November is when we traditionally recall and give thanks for the people of God who have left us and gone on. We don't pray for them. Paul tells us why we don't need to pray for them. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. They've got far more than you and I have got. We don't pray for them. That's all settled in God's grace and providence. We don't pray for them. We do give thanks at their memory. My friends, remembering mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers is helpful and good. And it is best to remember the good and also to recall the less than good. Don't live in an illusion. It's good to to remember the good, but also recall the less than good. To lift up our hearts in thanksgiving for their good, which is all by God's grace, but also to use their failures as times of reflection and repentance. I mentioned my dad this morning in the adult class. I'm going to mention him again here as an illustration. My dad died in 2010. There's so many things about my dad. He was not a Christian. But there were so many things about my dad I loved and I learned from him. He was a, a decent worker and, and a supervisor. I still run across people who worked for him at the uh, Department of Transportation, now called ODOT, right? That used to work for him there. And there was one in the neighborhood here who's retired. And one day he came up to me and he goes, are you Wayne Filmer's son? You look just like him. I said, yeah, I am. Is that okay? Yeah, your dad was awesome to work for, right? There's lots of wonderful things. Dad was a peacemaker. Dad was great with my mom and the help that she needed and stuff. Those were wonderful things, and I do remember those things. And it's good to give thanks for that. Thank you, Lord, that I grew up in that family. He was faithful, by all appearances, to my mother for 49 and a half years. That's how long they were married. Thank you, Lord, for that memory. But there's a darker side of my dad. I'm not going to air it because we still have to honor our parents even after they are long dead. I'm not going to air his dirty laundry. But there was a darker side to my dad that has troubled me and afflicted me since childhood. And I remember those and recall those. And I, I remember, Lord, my father was wonderful in so many ways, but he wasn't Jesus. And these things that he did that were wrong... Help me not to do those things. Does that make sense? It's good to remember the good and give thanks. It's good to recall the less than good and pray, Dear God, save me from following that family trait. Well, that's wonderful to do. Well, First and Second Chronicles was written with that kind of thought in mind all the way through to remind God's people of their past, of their forefathers, of both the godliness and godlessness for their own good and for their future and for our own good and for our future. And so today, we meet two more of God's kings to learn from them to not be hard-hearted or hard-headed. There's the two points. Hard-hearted, chapter 25. Hard-headed, chapter 26 like Amaziah and Uzziah. So hard-hearted, chapter 25. So I hope you have your Bibles open here, because this is the only way you'll know what in the world I'm talking about. You know, Amaziah begins well. But then the, the Lord alerts us to the fact that Amaziah was really half-hearted. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. He did what the Lord required, 
even if it was half-hearted at the very first. And so the historian gives us two exhibits. Exhibit A is that though he rightly put to death those in his kingdom who had conspired against his father, imagine if he hadn't done that, there had always been this power struggle in the kingdom. He rightly put them to death for their what they did was immoral. But then notice it says, and it emphasizes it, he heeded God's law. And so he did not retaliate against the assassins' families. Right? That's what God's law says. He was listening to the word of God, the directions of God. That's exhibit A of doing right in the eyes of the Lord, even if it wasn't with the whole heart. Exhibit B picks up in verse 5. The second exhibit comes around when he works to safeguard Judah's security. Now, initially, he abides by the biblical pattern in Numbers. You'll read over it in Numbers. If you read through Numbers, you'll see it many, many times that the people who are to be mustered for combat were the men who were 20 years old and older. He follows that pattern. But in a moment of weakness and deep concern, he ends up hiring some local mercenaries from the politically, socially, morally, theologically progressive liberal arm of God's kingdom up north. He hires those 100,000 mighty men of valor, verse 6. And God will not have that. And so he sends his spokesman to Amaziah. And as an exhibit of doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord, Amaziah actually listens to God's prophet. Send them back. You don't need them. And he doesn't. But as the prophet is speaking, starting there in verse 7 and 8, as the prophet is speaking, he exposes Amaziah's dark mood that led him to this moment of weakness. You'll see it right in the middle of his statement in verse 7, chapter 25, verse 7 and 8. He will say to Amaziah, why should you suppose? Notice how strong that word is. Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before your enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. Notice that Amaziah's weakness came because he supposed the worst about God. Are you listening to me? His moment of weakness came because he supposed the worst about God. He assumed the worst about God, that God was only going to cast him down before his enemies. My friends, isn't that when we are the most prone to compromise, to sin, or to revolt? I mean, even James brings it up in James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Well, why does James bring it up? Because there were Christians running around saying, Oh, God made me do it. He made me do evil. He was tempting me with evil. It had a bad assumption about God. It happens. Amaziah has assumed the worst about God. And so I ask us, why do we suppose the worst about God? Why do we suppose that God will only cast us down? Why do we presume that it is God who tempts us to do evil? Why do we deduce that God is going to pull His strength from us against temptation? Well, Pastor, I never say that. I know you may not have said that, but I've heard enough who have said those things. And I know my own heart, and I know when I'm tempted how I also am a false prophet to myself.
Why, oh, why do we assume the worst about God? For God has the power to help or to cast down. Yes, He can do this, but He also can do this. Help or cast down. And so Amaziah heeds God's counsel and he releases the mercenaries who storm out of church, slamming the doors, taking spray paint to the side walls and burning debris out in the street. Something like that. Something that fun. And they storm their way back up north. He does, Amaziah does what he's supposed to do. He heeds God's counsel, releases the mercenaries. But he does ask. He does do what's right and And he wonders what he's going to do without that money, and so God assures him. And it's in verse 9, the Lord, Yahweh, is able to give you much more than all that you've expended on those mercenaries. And so then Amaziah follows the prophet's directions further in verse 9, and verse 8, go, act, be strong for the battle. And so, verse, verse 11 and 12, he took courage and led out his people and went to the valley of salt and struck down the king's enemies. And then there's that scene where he, they cast down 10,000 off a ledge. You know, if no, you don't know this, there were enough Confederate and Union generals who could tell us in the Civil War and used to say, friends, war is hell. That's all I can say about what happened there. War is hell. And so then Amaziah, here's Amaziah doing what was right, but it was with a half heart. The other half of his heart surfaces right quickly, and it shows that he was really hard-hearted. The trouble comes when you get down to verse 14. When he set up the gods of his defeated foes and worshipped them. Now, let that nonsensical statement sink in a minute. He set up the gods of his defeated foes. Oh, wait, the gods of Edom... Were, incompetent, or were impotent. The gods of Edom were incompetent. The gods of Edom were infect, ineffective. The gods of Edom were incapable. I'm going to worship them! Woohoo! I mean, think of how stupid that is. My friends, sin, this is a picture of sin. Sin is an anomaly. When we sin, it is weird. I know it's very normal right now, but it's really normally abnormal. I don't know how else to put it. It's really twisted, sin is, and when we fall into sin and temptation. This is what our sin looks like. When we're being tempted and we jump into sin, I realize that there's this internal logic that we have that makes sense in the moment. Well, I'm entitled or whatever. Whatever the internal logic is, it makes sense at the moment. Well, they don't need that money. It's not right for them to have that money. I'm going to steal that money. Or whatever. Sin has an internal logic that sounds logical in the moment, but then when you are finally in your right mind afterwards, if you have a good mind, a right mind, and you step back and you look at it, you go, what was I thinking? That was stupid. Can I get an amen? Your sin, my sin, is radically illogical. It looks just this stupid. I'm going to set up the gods of the people I defeated because... What? And even God pulls it out and says, what are you doing? 
Don't you see? They were defeated. They ain't got no strength, Baba. Why are you worshiping them? And that's what our sin is, looks like. It looks just like that. We are just as illog- illogical as Amaziah is here when we turn away from the life-giving, liberty-giving, love-giving God. To do what? If we turn away from him, then all we're left with is serving what steals our liberty, what snuffs out our life, and what soils love. That's all we're left with. When you read this moment, you should, every one of you, sound like the tax collector in Jesus' story and be beating your chest as you look down. Oh God, be merciful to me, a stupid, idiotic, illogical sinner. That's how we all should be. And so then when Amaziah and all of his boisterousness, after he shuts down the prophet, he won't even listen to God, what God has to say. He shuts the prophet down. If he does that, he then goes up north against the theologically, socially liberal king of the northern realm of God's kingdom. And it's interesting that the leader up there sees how stupid Amaziah is and he tells him this stupid, silly little story. You know, I'm going to tell you a story. There was a little thistle one time that got really, really excited and thought it could actually persuade the cedar tree of Lebanon to have his daughter for wife. And you hear that story and you go, that's just insanely stupid. The point. And so then, even Jehoram says, or Jehoahaz says to Amaziah, see, you, you, you are saying in your heart, see, I have struck down Edom and your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness. Your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness. In other words, the king from the north was telling him, Amaziah, you're really a knucklehead. You're you're just a doofus. Because you're actually listening to your own press releases and you're believing your your own propaganda. How stupid is that? But not only did the Amaziah shut down the prophet earlier. Now he will not listen to even his opponent, showing that his heart really is a hard heart. Verse 20, Amaziah would not listen. And why would he not listen? Why was he being adored? Why? For it was from God. Why was he being so stubborn and pig-headed? For it was from God. Why would he not take correction? For it was from God in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies because they had sought the gods of Edom. Amaziah, you turned away from life and liberty and love. Okay, Bubba, here's all that remains for you. Death and defeat. His hard heart had made him dull and dense and defeated. And that's where his story pretty well ends. And you'll notice that pride is a crucial part of his hard heart. Your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness. Pride was a crucial part of his hard heart. And in his own rebelliousness against God, it then breeds rebellion in his realm, in his kingdom. And so, verse 27 and 28, he's assassinated. And thus ends the tale of Amaziah the hard-hearted. Ah, but the family pattern pattern continues 
on into the next generation with his son Uzziah. I think Pastor West was actually was valuably correct what he said, talked about family systems, how we often set up, have this family system, and it just ends up rippling into the next generation and the next and the next. You cannot miss it. Amaziah followed this way, began well, turned a corner, and ended poorly. And you will notice Uzziah begins well and ends poorly. The family pattern continues on into the next generation with Uzziah and his hard head, and that's chapter 26. And when you read chapter 26 on the heels of reading chapter 25, you start thinking something like this. Why, it's the same song, just second verse. And that's exactly right. Now, there's a little bit more promise in the reign of Uzziah at first, but then there's this early hint that a hard head has ascended the throne. Follow me with as I look at verse 4, chapter 26, verse 4, and then I'm going to look at verse 25. Notice how it puts it. And he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh, great, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Uh, what? Damn, hmm. And that's what that verse is meant to make you do. Hmm. Hmm. And so then verse 5 comes out and tells you more clearly. It's still lots of hints, but it's very, very clear. He set his, himself to seek God. Yay! In the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. Zechariah was either the high priest at the time, or he was a prophet. Either way, when did he set himself to seek God? In the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And you stop there and you go, does that mean there was an expiration date to his fidelity? That sure is what that sounds like. Mm. And then the rest of the verse. As long as he sought Yahweh. As long as. That phrase right there alerts you. Clear as, clear as day. Oh yeah, there was an expiration date. As long as he sought Yahweh, God made him prosper. Mm. There's lots and lots of little good news details here in Isaiah at the beginning, but there are also bad news hints in that sentence. And so from there, you'll notice that God helps Isaiah as he sets up his, his defenses for the southern realm and he fights several opponents and so forth. You see that starting there. And when you get down to verse uh, 26 and verse 6, you see how that how that's happening, but notice that it says emphatically when you get to verse 7, God helped him. This is why he was strong. God helped him. And it continues at the end of verse 8, for he became very strong. Well, how did he become very strong? God helped him. So he continues to, to succeed. He continues to prosper. He continues to gain strength. And so the very last statement in this section, at the end of verse 15, for he was marvelously helped. Well, who helped him? God, for God helped him. He was marvelously helped. Till he was strong. Now, my friends, if you've ever been in the military and been in a hot situation, you've seen the Amazighs and Azais before. It's called foxhole religion. Bullets flying, bombs coming in, or whatever the case is, and how many people find Jesus all of a sudden in a foxhole? But usually it's the bargain in Jesus. I, I, you saved me and I'll show up to church finally, Lord. And when all the bullets are done, they might come to church once. Right, foxhole religion. 
jailhouse religion. Finding Jesus while they're there in the prison in the jailhouse and they become really sanctified and sanctimonious and, and all those things. And as soon as they're out, not long after that, things with many of them don't go very, very well. Every one of us is tempted with jailhouse religion, foxhole religion. When you're in the thick of it, you become really spiritual. Oh, okay, I do. It's okay. It's all right. And when the pressure's off, the temptation is just to let it slide. Did you notice that with Amaziah and now Uzziah? When they're in a hot mess, when they're in a struggle, when they're trying to gain power and strength, they're all about Jesus or God. And then when they finally get where they need to go, they're doing their own thing. That's what's happening here. God helps Uzziah, makes him very strong. He's marvelously helped till he was strong. God is the one who made him prosper. And my friends, part of that is meant to encourage us. This is a good way to go, to actually serve the Lord, to set our hearts or set our eyes to seek the Lord. And as long as, as long as we seek the Lord, God made him prosper. Oh yeah. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Second Chronicles 20, 20. Oh yeah. We're being reminded again, this is God's health-giving prescription way. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then I stand ready to hear and to forgive and to heal. And my friends, it could have gone on this way for 52 years. It could have gone on this way for the whole of his time as king. For the good of God's glory and God's people. But, verse 16, but, but, when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Does anybody hear the book of Proverbs in that statement? When he grew proud, he grew proud to his destruction. Proverbs 11, verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Or the verse that probably came to your minds, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. He grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord, to Yahweh his God, and entered the temple of Yahweh to burn incense on the altar of incense. His hard-headed pride comes out clearly as he barges into the temple to usurp the God-given role of the priests, and really in the end to usurp God's right to give directions on how to come to him. Uzziah decides he's going to come his own way. I want what I want. Now, there was probably an internal logic. He probably, he probably if you had asked him at the moment as he was getting ready to do this, he said, well, I just want to be closer to God. And I don't like the way things have been set up where there's this sacrificial, sacramental kind of thing in the way and there's this Bible stuff and, these, and the clergy and all that stuff. I don't like any of that stuff. I want to be close. Just me and him on my terms. On my terms. In other words, as happens with pride always, Uzziah wants to be on the throne and he wants God to be on the footstool. As always happens with pride, he wants to be on the throne and he wants God to be on the, his footstool. 
His hard-headed pride comes out in this moment. And notice you see pride very, very clearly in what happens next. Azariah, the high priest, and the 80 others. Now think about how bold these guys were, because this is the king. He could lop off your head. Anybody ever watched you know, Alice in Wonderland and the Queen of Hearts? Oh, what is head? Right? He could have lopped off their heads. But they stand up to him, Azariah and the priests, and they give him godly correction for his own good. They're trying to actually help the king. And how does Isaiah receive this correction? Verse 19. Angry. He was angry. Notice the emphasis. It's repeated twice in one sentence. He was angry. He was angry, became angry with the priest. And my friends, in all of my experience, that is pretty, pretty darn normal. When pride has a heart, that person will not receive correction. Instead, they will cook the books and turn it around to where you're the actual person who's in the wrong, and I'm in the right, and now you're persecuting me, or you're offending me, or you're wronging me, and they will not take correction. Instead of receiving correction, he only becomes angry against the very ones who are trying to help him. And so God responds, and he harms He harms. Isaiah gives him leprosy, and he halts the hard-headed king. And he makes Uzziah leprous so that he can no longer now be in the temple at all. He's excluded from church. He's excluded from the fellowship. He's excluded from the sacraments. He's excluded from the singing. He's excluded from the fellowship meal. He's excluded, excluded, excluded. He stands, he ends up buying a house or building a house further off the beaten path and his son, Jotham, has to reign in his place, or co-reign in his place. He is cut off. My friends, in so many ways, Uzziah begins, and he looks hopeful. He looks hopeful politically, he looks hopefully, hopeful socially, he looks hopeful religiously at the beginning. And the reality of his hard heart becomes clear. This is why Scripture tells us over and over and over again, you heard it in the call to worship today in Psalm 118. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Even the most promising ecclesiastical or political leaders can be a mixed bag of pride, of hard hearts, and hard heads. It is better to take refuge in the Lord. When we're done with Amaziah and Uzziah. Let's try to land this plane. My friends, it's good for us to remember our forebears. It's right for us to recall and to give thanks for that which was good. But also to be honest about what was less than good, and to allow it to instruct us as we, so that we don't follow suit. Lord, I want to be like Azariah, or Amaziah, and I want to be like Uzziah, who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, who set themselves to seek you. I don't want to be like the other part, where it's half-hearted and hard-headed. I want to be this way. That was great when they were that way. Praise the Lord they were that way for a season. I want to be like that, but not for a season, for the rest of my life. And, when I, and if you make me strong, may I stay strong with you, not go the route of Amaziah and Isaiah. 
Right? That's how you do that. That's what it's meant for. So it's right for us to do it. Further off, my friends, both Amaziah and Uzziah, as I mentioned, they started off far better than they ended. And that's instructive. Sometimes, dear friends, pride comes in and conquers us later in life. Sometimes it's cynicism that comes in when we're about mid-age or maybe even a little younger or a little older, but cynicism comes in later and tackles us. Sometimes it's later in life that we finally simply are just plain envious, plain envious of the prosperity and the fun that those people who aren't Christians are having over there. If you don't believe me, go examine the statistics and ask yourself, why, is ST, why are STDs on the rise with senior citizens? They're on the rise. The, the young folks shouldn't have all the fun. Or whatever. My friends, Uzziah and Amaziah both, there's a lesson here for us. It is too easy to begin full steam ahead with sanctified zip and zap. And then somewhere later in life, maybe when we have become or think we have become smarter, or maybe when we become older, or maybe when we have become stronger or wealthier, to become trapped in the sins of our own making. Rightly, my friends, are we going to humbly sing two hymns today at communion? And both of them have a similar theme in them. Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a mystic in the Middle Ages, one of the favorite mystics that Calvin liked to quote, in his song, Our Sacred Head Now Wounded, He has these words towards the end of the last verse. Oh, make me thine... Let me me try it again. Oh, make me thine forever. I'm not going to sing it, sorry. Oh, make me thine forever. Should I fainting be? Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for Thee. I want to sing another one. This is the last verse. And I will try to sing this one. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be Let that grace now, like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to Thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave the God I love Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Amaziah and Isaiah should bring us to sing those songs with soft hearts. Lastly, notice our reading was in Isaiah 6, our other reading was in Isaiah 6. And when did Isaiah, when does that happen in Isaiah 6? In the year that King Uzziah died. And Isaiah is emphatically being reminded of where his confidence must always, always, always be. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And John told us in John 12, 41, he's actually seen Jesus before the incarnation. I saw Jesus, the King. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he's on the throne still, no matter what happened in politics. How about that? And ain't nobody pulling him off. Praise the Lord. He sees the king. And notice what the king does. The king is sitting enthroned and he reigns. He is the king. But notice what else the king does. As he is confronted with the king, Isaiah realizes that he is not quite the fellow the king needs. Woe is me. I am ripping apart at the seams. I'm a man of unclean lips. I use my social media to slander everybody I can slander that I don't like. I do it personally with my own personal lips. And by the way, I live among the people who do the same things. And what does the king do? He provides Isaiah's forgiveness and restoration. This has removed your guilt. Your sins are atoned for. And then the king, as he will often do with his people, may very well send us out like he does Isaiah, back out into those crowds of people with unclean lips, into the mobs, into the masses, to a people who do not want him to be king because they're just right proud to their own destruction. And he may well send us out, and he does send us out, to push back hard against a culture and a society that pushes hard against us. And no matter what the momentary outcome is of all of that, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He is the King. And all creation and all people will finally fall down and say, Jesus is Lord. Some will say, Jesus is Lord. And others will say, Jesus is Lord. God, they will, we will all say it. And so our confidence should be where? In our political leaders? In our powers and authorities on earth? I saw the Lord high and lifted up in the year that King Uzziah died. Let's pray. Oh, Lord our God, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, who is enthroned. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. All earth is filled with your glory. Lord, forgive us for putting our confidences in the wrong places. We do it all the time. And forgive us for when we've been half-hearted. Forgive us for when we've played foxhole, jailhouse religion. Lord, may we learn from, Am- from these two kings, from Amaziah and Uzziah. May we do what's right in your eyes by your grace. May we set ourselves to seek you all of our days, not just as long as Zechariah is teaching us the word or whatever. May we always seek you. I pray for anyone here today 
who has not yet bowed to you, Lord Jesus, declaring that you are Lord and Savior, that you would rouse their hearts and they would come and receive you fresh. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.